I think the most likely scenario is one where we continue to see lots of different people doing different things. That you know, for some companies, will decide it's so important to their culture to have people in person. A lot of other companies are going to say, you know, we quite like having people in person, but the benefits of being able to recruit broadly, the benefits of really being able to meet our employees' needs, outweigh the advantages of bringing them back. Welcome to the Ripple Effect, the podcast that takes you on a journey through the minds of work and faculty. I'm your host, Dan Loney, and in each episode, we'll be diving deep into the inspiration behind the groundbreaking research that Wharton professors have conducted and exploring how their findings resonate with the world today. So get ready to dive into new ideas with The Ripple Effect. We find ourselves at a crossroads. Do we return to the office or not? A recent Business Insider article dove headfirst into this issue, outlining the positions of some of the world's largest companies. J.P. Morgan Chase is ditching its pandemic-era hybrid attendance policy, mandating that executives return to their high-rise offices. Not to be left behind, Amazon has also issued a similar mandate to its corporate staffers. On the other hand, Apple's senior leaders have asked their workers to make an appearance at the office at least three days a week, an approach that CEO Tim Cook believes will restore in-person collaboration. But this transition has not been smooth sailing with a growing tide of employees pushing back against these return-to-office mandates. So what does this mean for the future of work? Are we seeing the end of remote work, or is this just a speed bump in the road to a more flexible future? To help us decode this complex issue, we've invited Matthew Bidwell to share his insights on the pros and cons of remote work. Well, great to be joined here on our show by Matthew Bidwell. Matthew is a management professor here at the Wharton School, he is also faculty director of the Wharton People Analytics Initiative. Matthew, always great to get your insight. Thanks very much. Great to see you again. Thank you. All right, so we're kind of now in this unique new world of remote work. I mean, obviously, we've had it for a couple of years now because of the pandemic. Uh, I guess the, the question now is, as we're coming out of that, it still seems like remote work has this level of resilience. And... Let me start there by asking you, should I be surprised that it does seem to have this resilience, this longer staying period that it appears it's going to be around like? I don't know if you should, but I certainly am. Um, you know, one of the things I've been saying lately is I came into this field. I started being um, decided to go do a PhD and, and study work. So the sense that work was changing really rapidly. Um, this was in the late 1990s. And sadly, the conclusion I came to was that work was changing less between about Between about 1990 and 2020, work changed, I think, less than in pretty much any other period in the last 100 years, which says it all about my perfect timing. Um, But I think with the growth of remote work, what it means to work, what it means to be employed, our kind of day-to-day experience has changed more in the last three years than at any time I can remember. It has been dramatic. And yeah, I'm surprised. I mean, it was obviously hugely impactful when everybody went home, right, kind of can't remember when it was around, mid to late March 2020, everybody goes home and there's a sense, okay, we're going to try and do this, um, try and do this remotely. I can't remember how long it was before we realized that actually this was going to be a semi-permanent thing. There are some wonderful figures. I mean, the person who's done the most research on this is um, a professor at Stanford called Nick Bloom. So he'd already done a little bit of work on remote work pre-pandemic. 
And when the pandemic started, he realized, wow, this is a big deal. We should study it. And so he started kind of studying, doing a, running a survey month by month to see where are people working, those sorts of things. It looks like pre-pandemic, about 5% of all days were being worked um, from home. So, you know, you had some people working from home. Anyway, height of the pandemic, that goes up to about 60% because everybody gets sent home. And frankly, if you can't get sent home, chance of you being laid off are reasonably high. So it has come steadily back down since then, but it hasn't got much below about 30%. Um, and I think over the last seven or eight months, it's been static, right? I mean, we hear a lot about how everybody's going back to the office and companies bringing people back in. You really struggle to see that in the data. Um, and so, yes, like I say, we start off at 5%. COVID forces everybody to um, go home. It's hard to say when COVID ended, but I mean, at this point, it isn't really shaping much of people's day-to-day -day decisions but we haven't returned to where we were. The technology hasn't changed, right? Nothing else has changed, but we have fundamentally changed how we work. So yeah, I'm surprised. I didn't see this coming. So then what, what do you attribute then kind of the success of remote work? And, and as we know, not everybody is going to realistically work remotely the rest of their careers. It's And it's off and on as well, but there are probably elements, whether it be productivity the want of the employee, the want of the company, that are the reasons why it has worked so well? I think it's probably a couple of things. I think the big driver is we've discovered how much we like it, that going to the office every day carries enormous costs. One of the things you see, remote work is much more common for people working in big cities because, I mean, the, the huge driver here is commutes. You know, if your commute is half an hour each way, that's still an hour a day, right? That you're spending doing something that isn't productive and usually isn't fun. You know, you have a lot of people with hour long or even two hour commutes where you're spending two to four hours a day commuting. And so, you know, I think a tremendous driver is just the ability to claw back that time, to put that time to good use, right? And so it's a, you know, economists and Academics and stuff like to talk about bounded rationality, that idea that we're, we're broadly sensible, but often within a little box. We don't necessarily think that hard about things. In some ways, it's a great example, right? We were boundedly rational. It's like, yeah, we commuted because that's what we did. And we didn't think too hard about, do I really need to be doing this every day? Once you've gone through a period where you weren't commuting and you're still getting your work done, suddenly that opens up as a question. Like before, it's taken for granted. Yeah, you're in the office. Now that feels like a choice. And so I think we're just looking at that and saying, why would I spend that time commuting? Um, and so, you know, particularly for employees, now when the company says, come back into the office, you've got an hour long commute each way. It feels like they're saying, we want two more hours of your time. Now, that can make sense. That can be justified. But you have to ask why. What's the point of that? And I think that's the other side of it. So I think one side is we started to question for the first time, do we need to be doing this? The other side of it is I think we discovered it wasn't that bad. Like, I think there had been this baked-in assumption that we probably need to be in the office to get things done. Um, some ways, a profound mistrust of one another, right? It's like, well, I know I'll do my work if I go home, but all those other people, I'm not sure anything will get done, right? And we discovered that, for the most part, most people do a good job at home, that we can work at home. And so it's we discovered the 
benefits for many people of not having to commute are immense. The costs of having them work at home are probably less than we expected up till that point. And so I think that has fundamentally changed the way that everybody looks at this at this story. Well, that component of, of working from home and being successful and being productive, realistically, it feels like for a lot of those people, it's changed the dynamic of what the workday is. Whether it was eight to four, nine to five, whatever it is, we see more people now maybe breaking up their day, working you know, uh, two four-hour segments or four two-hour segments or whatever it is with being able to get up and go outside and get some fresh air or, you know, run a couple of errands or whatever. And that dynamic, it's interesting to have that in the mix uh, of the overall workday and not only that it's successful for the employee, but the management understands that that's kind of part of the new norm now. I think so. I mean, I do think when you look at service about why people want to work from home, kind of commute is number one. So I'm sticking to my guns on that. But flexibility is is another big one because, yes, it is. You know, when you're in the office, you can kind of do office things, right? When you're working from home, yes, if you like and your kids aren't teenagers, you can spend some time with your kids when they um, when they come home from school. You can work out during the middle of the day. Frankly, most people, the hours of about 1 till 3 p.m., are not tremendous productivity hours, right? And so if you want to go do something different, then get your errands run, take a nap, whatever, and then come back to work later. You're probably, not only is that going to be better for your use of time, it's going to be better for the organization as a whole. So yes, it does, you know, that other dimension, it creates um, more flexibility to integrate different parts of your life and kind of use your time more productively rather than having there's a bunch of my time where I'm only going to be doing work things and kind of even though it'd be good to kind of fit some of these other things in so yeah that flexibility i think is quite positive as well for most of us what do you say to those that people that also are concerned about the issue of office collaboration or of losing something because you have people working remotely and, and i guess that and i guess that factors back in to the technology question as well I don't want to dismiss those concerns. I mean, I think there are tremendous benefits to remote working in terms of kind of the efficiency of not commuting, in terms of the flexibility. Some people just prefer it. Um, frankly, for all, some companies as well, um, we can talk about this, kind of the lower real estate costs, broader recruitment, all sorts of benefits. There are real costs. We don't have as strong evidence on this as we would like. But I think the anecdotal evidence suggests that we don't collaborate as well. We don't build networks as well. We don't communicate quite as effectively as when we're in person. And that's where I think the debate over this gets a little silly, right? You have some people who are only, there are huge costs, we can't do this. And there are other people like, <laughs> huge benefits, we must do this. And the reality is there are costs and benefits, right? Um, the big costs, so collaboration. I think tends to be a little less effective. I think the other big concern is about developing people that I think particularly junior employees tend to learn a lot through just watching the people around them through observation. They're losing out on that. Then you get less mentoring when you're not around people. So I think that you know, some of the companies I think that have, have taken a harder line on bringing people back in. So say the investment banks, some of them, they tend to have a lot of junior people and place a really high emphasis on kind of skill building through working together. It's not crazy that they kind of feel they need to bring people back. So yes, there are um, there are real costs. Like I said, I mean, if you've got a two-hour commute, you need some really high costs in order to outweigh kind of, you know, I'm going to make you spend two hours a day coming in to do this. But yeah, you see both sides. 
So going off of something you just said and, and the, the work you, you said of Professor Bloom uh, out at Stanford, this is still very much kind of a, a, uh, an area to focus on, an area to research and to understand. Thinking about what we went through over that three-year window, using that as the example of remote work, and now how it is kind of developed into what we see right now, correct? Yeah. I mean, it's a moving target. It's um, it's one of the more fun things I get to do in my job. We run an um, online program for senior HR executives, a chief HR officer program. So I was doing a webinar today with people around the world, and we spent an hour talking about their experiences of remote work. It's all over the place, right? I mean, every company is doing something different. Everybody is wrestling with a kind of these same sort of dynamics. So our employees want the flexibility. We feel like we need to get them collaborating. Um, and everybody is trying different things in terms, you know, you have some companies here, yeah, everybody needs to be back in the office. Other companies, we want to stay fully remote. A lot of them kind of trying to do hybrid. It's a moving target. And I think it's, we don't yet know really what works well. Um, and because of that, it's hard to know where we're going. So are we going to find a new normal? So there's, you know, there's one scenario where the new normal is probably three days in the office a week and two days at home. So most companies, that starts to be what you expect for an office job. That wouldn't surprise me. There is a world where everybody does end up back in the office. And, you know, there, there's a scenario where, we get a big recession, which we've been expecting for about the last two years, but maybe it finally arrives. And yeah, you know, I think a lot of this is being driven by this kind of push and pull between employer and employee. You know, yeah, average CEO wishes everybody was back in the office. Um, and so once they stop worrying about what this means for our recruitment, once, once they stop worrying about whether bringing everybody back is going to drive attrition, maybe they do bring everybody back. Um, I think the most likely scenario is one where we continue to see lots of different people doing different things that, you know, for some companies will decide it's so important to their culture to have people in person. A lot of other companies are going to say, you know, we quite like having people in person, but the benefits of being able to recruit broadly, the benefits of really being able to meet our employees' needs outweigh the advantages of bringing them back. So you bring up an interesting dynamic because I think, I have thought about this, and I'm sure a lot of people have, of this, you know, kind of back and forth of either employee to manager or employee to company. And you just brought up an interesting suggestion about thinking about this kind of culture to culture and how it may be different here in the United States compared to in Asia or Australia or, or Europe. Yeah, it is weird. I mean, you do see big differences across different countries. I was teaching in the Middle East in March, and I did a session on remote work, and they were kind of stared at me. It's like, no, we're back in the office. What are, what are you talking about? You know, right. Even there, I think there was. They were like, well, we're formally back in the office, but in practice, we're spending a lot more time working from home. Um, but yes, different cultures. I think kind of the US, UK, Canada have really embraced working from home more than a bunch of other countries. Um, it will be interesting to see how that evolves. But yeah, I think it's it's proving hardest to put the toothpaste back in the tube um, in some countries. You mentioned before about kind of the learning component for companies. I would think that maybe there's somewhat of a learning component for the employees themselves as well in terms of being home and doing work at home remotely three days a week or four days a week, whatever it is. 
and, and kind of understanding the best way they can be the best employee they can be. That's probably true. Yeah. I mean, I think we're all kind of, we've all adjusted our schedules, thought about what makes us productive, what makes us less productive over the, over the time. It is a big change. And I think, I mean, I've been most interested in kind of how companies are learning about this. We've built a whole system. You know, this is what culture is. This is what management is. This is what training is around the idea of people being the officer. I mean, you, you probably remember people used to talk about management by walking around. Yes. Less useful in a yeah. remote world, right? You just yeah. can't do that. And so there's how we onboard new employees. There's a whole bunch of things that we just have to do differently. Um, and so I, you know, I think at least part of it is kind of rethinking a lot of how we manage people. I hope we get away from this kind of conversation about do we do remote? Do we bring people back? Um, I hope that as we kind of say, look, we need to find the best of both worlds. Like there are tremendous efficiencies to allowing people to work from home. Um, and it also occurs with, you know, so you see that with small organizations that find it hard often to recruit in local areas. What you see with very big multinational organizations is now everybody works in virtual teams anyway, right? I mean, I work a lot with HR people. So HR, they're all, you know, distributed teams. So I'll speak to somebody, you know, they're in Detroit, their manager is in San Francisco, other team members are in New York and Frankfurt, right? And so the way they work is already virtual. So it just doesn't, bring back into the office doesn't really achieve anything. And so I think, yeah, I hope we get to a world where we spend much more time thinking about how do we make these virtual collaborations as effective as possible? How do we build culture successfully when we are in different places? I'm convinced that there are not necessarily technological solutions, but ways to use the technology better and other practices that will enable us to to overcome some of the problems that we have working remotely and make this a good enough substitute that that we can reap the benefits without the huge costs of being in different places. Matthew, always great to get your insight. Thank you for the time today. Very nice to talk to you. Thank you. Matthew Bidwell, Management Professor here at the Wharton School and also Faculty Director of the Wharton People Analytics Initiative. Thank you for listening to The Ripple Effect. We hope you found this episode informative and engaging. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review so that we can continue to bring you the best insight from the Wharton School.